find our text here this morning. Before I, I begin, I, I, boy, I'm just blown away from the preaching that I have been able to hear. And I, I hope you recognize the power of God in the preaching of His Word. Don't, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't be as Jacob was. When he rose from Bethlehem and said, Surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Oh, wonderful. Two souls saved. How do you measure eternity? Do you do it with a mathematic equation and multiply the impact of the soul by eternity? How would you do that, that formula? Two times eternity. Oh, if it were just one soul, it would be worth every mile, the song says. And young man, if that's you, you just got birthed into the family of God. You are a child of the King. And He has called you for a purpose. And these men right here, if the whole world be against you, just know that we're with you. And if we fail you, the Lord is with you. And never give up and never quit. I do want to take just a moment and say thank you so much to uh, the faith men and, and Brother Allen for, for bringing the special music. It's been an encouragement to my heart and also the, the men leading the congregational singing. I tell you, um, I love hearing ladies sing, but there is just something special about being in a group of men uh, that aren't afraid to, to sound maybe just a touch off key. And, and throw it out there. Sometimes, and I think you all are learning a little bit about me, sometimes I just like to reach down, grab a fistful of air and say, glory to His name. And, it, and it's nice to be among men who, who feel the same way. I want to thank Brother Kurt Skelly for his faithfulness and preparation and preaching. Um, could I do this? If you have helped in, in some form or fashion with this Man Up conference, whether as part of the host church or uh, you help prepare food or you turn the mic on or work the sound booth or open some doors or had to drive someone somewhere, would you mind standing? Would you mind standing? No one helped with this. <laughs> no one did. Wow, truly this was the Lord. <laughs> Well, whoever you are out there, as bashful as you may be, thank you. Thank you so much. For you pastors in the room, sometimes we don't host conferences is because there is a vast difference between being a guest and being a host. And being a host is a lot of work, and I hope that we all value the work that's been put into this. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Faree, uh, wherever you may be. Um, your church has been wonderful uh, to facilitate this. And then Brother Al Stone, um, wherever you are. Um, where are you, Al? Oh, he left too! He left too. Well, that's okay. Um, just tell him he's worthless. And I heard a comment last night, which is totally true. Um, I've not been here in previous years, but it seems like each year it gets better, and each year Brother Stone does less. <laughs> so whoever came up with that, brilliant. Uh, we need to put you in charge. So um, I'm not wasting time, but I'm, I'm nervously lingering. 
I'm nervously lingering because when we come to the conclusion of a conference, we often see it the wrong way, that it's not the conclusion of the conference. It's the beginning of what God has called us to in that conference. The most important time in a church service, some would say, is the invitation. And although I understand the emphasis there, it's not. It's not. It's what happens after the invitation. And I have had the tremendous privilege of being under some great preaching, and I have been challenged, and I hope you've been challenged too. And I would like to bring our our challenge to this passage in Judges chapter number 2. And it does demand response. Out of reverence for the reading of God's Word, let's stand to our feet if we're able. And here we find the the end of Joshua's life. Judges chapter 2, verse number 6. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. They had a glorious task ahead of them, but the work was not done. Verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen the great works of the Lord that He did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. I'd like for you to gather in your mind and the imagination of your heart, if you would, around his gravesite there in verse number nine as his body is lowered into the earth. And they buried him. They buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnatherez in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. If I could, while I'm standing there by Joshua's graveside and I'm watching the men lift the loose dirt down into the open chasm that now houses the body of Joshua, I, I see the grave clothes as they begin to be covered by that dirt until the last speck of that linen white is covered. And then, with great haste, they begin to scoop the dirt in and it begins to fill. And my aging body looks down into that grave and realizes that one day that will be me. Oh, I feel so young right now. And some of you are like, well, that's because you are young. (laughs) And some of you are like, nah, he's old. (laughs) But one day that'll be me. And while we're standing here, I'm, I'm, I'm looking into that grave, watching it fill with dirt. And I remember a time where God filled a different grave with dirt. And God did this by His own hand. You're welcome to come with me. We're going to come back to Joshua, so please keep your hand right there. But I can't help but reflect on this moment in Joshua's life where he was not the one lying in the grave, but he was the one, not with the privilege of looking into the grave, but with the sorrow of his great leader, of his mentor, of of his hero who now had gone home to be with the Lord. And the Bible says at the beginning of Joshua... It makes this statement in verse number 2. The Lord is speaking to Joshua and He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even unto the children of Israel. And I look at these pages, and if I could, hold them up in my Bible. And I look at these pages, and these are not the pages of Joshua's entire life, for he fought some battles there with Moses. But these are the pages which define his leadership. We can turn from one page to the other and we can see the hand of God and we can see promises become realities. Oh, I'm getting chill bumps just thinking about what the Bible says as I turn back to Joshua and as this grave uh, is now completely filled and the crowd is beginning to disperse. And verse number 10, the beginning of it, echoes in my ears and in my mind. And, I, and also, uh, the Bible says, and also all the generation that were gathered unto their fathers and, and I see my friends dying and going to funerals and, and those generations which knew the work of the Lord and those generations which crossed that Jordan River on dry ground and came into a place that was full of enemies, but we knew that God was with us. And those friends that are lying in their graves now, which once held the sword, friends like Caleb and and men of of Judah and and men of Manasseh and, and men of these other tribes which went in and fought battles and suffered defeats and scooped themselves up and quit like men and, and launched into the next battle until the land of their inheritance was secured. And now those men are being laid to rest. That's what it's saying. And then it makes this statement. Because you see, Tom rolls on. The Lord's not going to say, Oh, Moses, my servant is dead, so I guess my work is over on earth. I'll just rapture him and bring him home. The Lord doesn't say, Joshua, my servant is dead, so my work's done. No, the work continues, doesn't it? However, I see a tragic and terrifying thing in verse number 10 that is my greatest fear in 2023. And also all the generation that were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods and the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Father, I pray that You'd help us here this morning. Lord, You've already done such a tremendous work in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that You would prevent me from hindering any of that work that's already been done. But Lord, I ask that You would empty me of myself, fill me with Your Spirit, If there's anything that lies between me and you, Father, I pray by the blood of Jesus that you would remove it. Father, now I ask that as we conclude, that we would set our eyes on the field that you've called us to. And we would do the work. Help me now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are some massive differences. There are some massive differences between the generation of Joshua and those elders that overlived Joshua and the generation that came that knew not the Lord nor the works that he had done for Israel. 
And there are many things that could contribute to that, and and I don't have time, nor does the Scripture really give specific evidence to all of those um, factors and all of those influences that may have existed. However, by by our own observation, I would like us to draw our attention to one primary distinction between the generation of Joshua and those elders that were with him and the generation that arose that verse number 10 goes on to describe. And I would simply say this here uh, this afternoon, that the generations had one major difference. And the major difference between these two generations was their experience with God. Now, don't get nervous if you're here this morning and you're about to think, oh no, is he going to be just an experiential preacher? No, we need to be a biblical preacher. We need to have our roots in the Bible that everything we believe and teach and do grows out of the text that's in front of us. But we are also aware that as we read Scripture, we see the different different experiences of man. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I love the Psalms and one of the reasons that my heart is so kindred with David, because David in Scripture, did he not have the highest highs? There he is in the valley of Elah standing over a dead giant, and he pulls the sword out and lops his head off, picks this this uh, big, you know, cabeza grande, that big head of Goliath up in blood and Brains are all dripping out of the bottom, and, and this little boy shepherd's like, Yeah! I'm the man! And then on the other side, didn't he not have the lowest valleys? As he hears the news of his dead son, that's a result of his own sin. Thou art the man, David. This is why I love David. The full range of experience. And I know that in every single pew here this afternoon, there is the full range of every human experience. But the biggest contrast in experience between these two generations is that one generation was a generation of pioneers. And the other generation was a generation of passengers. And one of my great concerns in my country is that we have a generation of passengers who have grown up in comfortable churches, in beautiful buildings, with nice buses, great programs. I grew up in that generation had the privilege of serving for 10 years at what I think is one of the greatest churches in America, Taze Valley Baptist Church, under the leadership of Pastor John Smith. And if you've never met John Smith, he's a wild man and I love every minute of it. You think I got it all just from birth? Oh no, I watched. (laughs) Oh, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that church is busting at the seams and it's got a beautiful, beautiful property and, and activity buildings and buses and comfortable pews and state-of-the-art sound systems and screens and, and a choir that'll blow the wall out of the back of the church. And, and it is just such an exciting place to be. But it was not always that way when Dr. John Smith came to Taze Valley Baptist Church in Hurricane, West Virginia. I think there were 25 people there that voted him in. And they were 
weren't all on board either. And he fought battle after battle after battle. And he saw the Lord blast and fought opposition. And the Lord took care of him through it all and brought him to a place where all of these things are now there. But I didn't see any of it. None of it did I see. None of it did I experience. And I was a passenger. I was a passenger. There's a lot of passengers that are in here today. And I'm not getting on to if you're a passenger. I've been one too. And I'll never forget there was a day I was listening to my pastor preach about five years ago. And he was preaching on eternity. And all of his heart was in it. And the Lord was convicting me. And at the end of the service, I found myself on the altar. Just begging God. God, I want to impact eternity. I want to have compassion. I want to make a difference. And I didn't hear it audibly. But I sensed it even louder than that. And about as clear as I could articulate to you as I was on that altar, I'm begging God, Lord, I want to do as much as I can for eternity. And the Lord spoke to me and said, what are you waiting for? Friends, that was the message that took me out of that ship of comfort and brought me to Valley View Baptist Church in Knoxville. It's not been an easy journey. I'll be promised. I'll be promised with you. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes we come to these conferences and we sit down and we talk about all the things that the Lord is doing. Oh, church is just busting at the seams and everything's going great. And Oh, we got souls saved. And I tell you, well, there's not a whole lot of us, but we're committed to the Lord. And we talk about all the, all the good things. But then we get back in the car and we pull into the church parking lot tomorrow morning. And we're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this again. See, sometimes it's work. And that's why a lot of people don't want to be pioneers. It's a lot easier to be a passenger. But the great concern is that if we lose our pioneering spirit, we will lose our walk with God. You say, well, Pastor Jared, I don't know. That seems, that seems a little extreme to say that if we lose that pioneering spirit, we lose our walk with God. Why don't we get in our Bibles for just a moment? If I could, just take a few places in my mind before I come back up here and, and we examine the text. When Jesus decided to do a work, and I explained this to our young men, that the Lord often moves a man before the Lord uses a man. And that was true for Abraham. He plucked him out of Ur of the Chaldees, the place of his ancestors, the place of his comfort, the place of his wealth. And he said to get up out from these people and, and head to another land before the Lord will use a man. The Lord often moves a man and he takes him over to the promised land and begins to use him there. Was it not Moses that had to be moved from the comforts of Pharaoh's palace and the comforts or perhaps pleasures of sin for a season and had to be taken out and moved into the wilderness before he could be used by the hand of God? Joshua was not able to be used in the full extent of what God intended for him until he removed himself from Moses' leadership and removed himself from that wilderness his place and crossed that Jordan and came into a battlefield and only then did God use him to the fullest extent. Oh, when Jesus looked out onto the waters and, and among those fishing villages in Galilee, he looked unto fishermen and what did he say? Remove yourself or if I could say it this way, follow me. And Jesus was never stagnant. 
Uh, They came to him, uh, those that asked where he resided and those that asked where he stayed. And he reminded them that foxes have holes, have have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. It's not because he took a vow of poverty. It's because he was not stationary. Jesus Christ was always moving and he was always moving forward. And at the very finality of his earthly ministry, as he gathers those disciples together, what is his final message to them? Was it stay only for a period of time only for the Holy Spirit to come but after that the Holy Spirit shall come then he gave them the command to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and where into the uttermost part of the world Oh, and when Isaiah came to him in Isaiah chapter number 6 and he heard the Lord say, Who will go for us and who shall I send? Isaiah responded and said, Here am I. Keep me, yes, but send me. And it's interesting, if you were to go back to Isaiah 6, Isaiah asks the question, how long shall I go? And the Lord responds, until the cities are desolate, until there's no more inhabitants. In other words, Isaiah, you don't ever stop going. Our God is a pioneering God. If we're going to follow Him, we need to be a pioneering people. The difference between... The first generation and the second generation is one was a generation of pioneers and the other was a generation of passengers. I want you to think about this for a moment. At those pioneers, they fought battles with impossible odds and unlikely outcomes with poor resources in uncharted territory and the Lord gave the victory. I'm telling you, when you fight those kind of battles with impossible odds in uncharted territories with poor resources and you see God's hand yourself and you're not just hearing about it in some history book and you're not just reading about it by some other man's account, but you are there and you taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. It changes the way you work. It changes the way that you function. And that's what made the generation of Joshua so different than the generation of passengers. You see, pioneers never feel the same way about the adventure of following God, faith, and sacrifice as the passenger. They never feel the same way. The pioneer is constantly looking to the farthest horizon of what God could do and only looks at what God has done with a spirit of thanksgiving. The passenger, however, looks at what God has done and says, this is enough. This is enough. The pioneer says there must be more. There must be more. Our God is not a God of that's enough. Our God is a God of exceeding abundantly above what we could ask or think. And men, this is our calling. And this right now is our generation. Our generation. And is our generation going to be a generation of pioneers or passengers? So, Pastor Jared, why do you have to yell and get all mad about it? Because I yell and I, sometimes I'm mad about it. <laughs> some things matter and some things don't. This matters. I hear the statement all the time. Well, you got to choose your own battles. You know what? I have never heard one say, you got to choose your own battles and them saying, fight something. 
Every time that statement is used, they're saying, got to choose your own battles. In other words, don't fight this fight. Don't fight this fight. Don't fight this fight. Well, where are the fights that are worth fighting? Because I'm ready to choose my own battles, but I'm not ready to retreat. I'm not ready for defeat. I'm ready to move forward as a pioneer because that's what God's called us to be. Oh, God, help us. Passengers, they're born into security. They heard about how bad the enemy was, but they never saw how good our God is. Oh, I better get going. I just want to draw a few distinctions between pioneers and passengers. The first one is this, is that their knowledge was different. Their knowledge was different. Their knowledge in, in verse number 10 it says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. Which knew not the Lord. Do you think that means that they hadn't heard of Him? No, they'd heard of Him. They sat in Sunday school. They sat in the, in the passenger seat of the Sunday school class. And they had the little flannel graph and, and the slides. And, and they heard the little illustrations. They could tell all of the stories about Moses and the plagues. And, and they were probably bending over with their heads on their desk saying, I'm tired, tired of hearing this. When it says that they knew not the Lord, it's talking about an experiential knowledge. I love that, that verse in Romans chapter 8 for it says that, that, that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God who are the called according to His purpose. Interesting thing that, that in the Greek there are two words that are primarily used for the word of knowledge. One is oida. The distinctions are, are small but with the word oida it's speaking of an intellectual knowledge. It's speaking of me telling you one plus one equals to and you being aware of that and, and understanding that and agreeing with that and having that knowledge. That's oida. But the Greek word that's used in Romans chapter 8 and we know, for we know that all things work together for good. That's not oida. That's another Greek word entirely. It's the word gnosko. And the word gnosko is speaking of an experiential knowledge. I know it because I experienced it. I know that the Lord is good because I saw it. I know that the Lord Lord is good because there was this time where I was in a mess and where I had launched out trusting in him and guess what shazam the Lord took care of me and I know it and that's the difference between these two generations pioneers know it because they have seen it and they have tasted it and they have been sustained by his grace and pioneers have just heard about it I mean passengers have just heard about it Pioneers, they encountered the provision of God. This is the generation that trusted that God would lead them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is the generation of pioneers that picked up the manna off the ground and said, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is the generation that walked across the dry ground of the Jordan. This is the generation that marched around Jericho. This is the generation that saw the provision of God. This is the generation that saw the, the presence of God. Oh, when Joshua was about to go into Jericho, he's walking around in Joshua chapter number 5 and he comes across this, this man with a sword drawn. You remember the story? 
He says, are you for us or for our adversaries? And I love this. And he said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am, am I now come. And we have been far too long before, between now and the last time we encountered the one with his sword drawn who said, I'm captain of the host. I am not for you. I am not for your adversaries. I'm just wondering if you're for me. We need to have that kind of encounter with God again. An encounter with God that puts us so far out on the limits of our comfort zone, so far removed from the fear of man, so intimately connected to the fear of the Lord that God's provision is the only thing that can sustain us and God's presence is the only thing that we trust in. You know, when the disciples went out into all the world, the Bible says in the book of, the, book of Acts that the hand of the Lord was with them. You don't get that by just learning about it in the passenger seat. You've got to be a pioneer. See, here's the amazing thing about it. Those pioneers, they didn't just encounter the provision of God and the presence of God. They encountered the punishment of God. They did. They saw the punishment of God on the wicked enemies, didn't they? And was, jo was not Joshua standing there when the very last man of the generation that preceded him who didn't believe the promise to go into the promised land, was Joshua's dirty sandals not standing there when the last man of them fell dead on the ground and now he knew, alright, we can move forward. He saw the punishment of God. Passengers, they live with such a complacent life that, that they, don't, they don't really see it and, and Parents, we, we warn our children, we, we hover over them, and we protect them, and, and we should, for, to some degree, uh, protect them in that way. But because of our protection and their being a passenger in our homes, they have not seen the judgment of God like we've seen the judgment of God. Because of that, their experience has been different. They've, this generation, they saw the judgment of God on the wicked, but I'll tell you this, they saw the judgment of God on the righteous. They were standing there when Achan was being stoned and his family lost their lives because of sin. And I'm telling you, when you're standing there, when the, when the righteous and chastening rod of God comes down and cracks the skulls of men, it changes you. But passengers never see that. It takes pioneers. See, passengers, no one knew these things I believe in my heart that every generation is responsible for, for defending truth and pursuing the lost. Man, we cannot rest on the accomplishments of those that came before us. Now we can stand on their shoulders with the great advantages that they have given us. For Joshua stood there on the shoulders of Moses and it was Moses' leadership that brought him to the edge of the river. But then Joshua had to cross over. And now Joshua had helped fight and secure the land and divide out the inheritance. But it was another generation's responsibility to go in and secure that inheritance. And instead of going forward like a pioneer, they rested like a passenger. And I wonder if you're going to rest or if you're going to go. I wonder if you're going to sit down or if you're going to stand up. 
I wonder if you're going to be comfortable in your security or if you're going to launch out into unknown territories under impossible situations with limited resources and cast your trust that God will do the work that he promised that he would accomplish. I praying for pioneers. Pioneers. Pioneers is what we need because if we don't, there will come a day where they, where, where they know not the Lord. It was, the truth. it was true for the sons of Eli, uh, the sons of Belial they are described as in 1 Samuel chapter 2, for they knew not the Lord. There's another person in the Bible that is described as knowing not the Lord and his name was Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 5 verse number 2, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. God help us if we such such a, such a poor example of pioneering that the generation to follow doesn't even know his voice. Their knowledge was different. I'm moving forward. Their vision was different. Their vision was different. Their knowledge was different. But their vision was different. Look with me back at verse number 10. And also all the generation were gathered unto their fathers and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. Nor yet the works. I tell you, one of the exciting things about pioneering is you get to be on the front row seat to watch God work. You know who had the best view of the crossing of the Red Sea? Moses. I mean, there were some people kind of up there in the bleachers, you know, the, bleed, the nosebleed sections. I went to a Penguins game. Any Penguins fans in here? No? Sorry. <laughs> went to a Penguins game. I don't know if you've ever, ever been there. I think they call it the Igloo or something. I don't know. And uh, my, my brother and I, we got tickets. We just got the cheapest tickets we could. No kidding. We were in the very last row. The ceiling of that place, we couldn't straighten our heads all the way because the ceiling was on us. My experience, my vision was very different than the guy down there banging on the glass. <laughs> glass breaks. He takes a puck to the face. He's bleeding everywhere. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if the two of us were to talk after the game, we'd have a totally different vision about things, wouldn't we? Sure. Yeah. Like, I can't see the puck. Like, did, did, did something happen? <laughs> He's like, I felt it. <laughs> it's hard. You know, they, those pioneers, they had a, a certain vision of things. They saw God do a work. Moses had a beautiful vision. The disciples, and they got to be on the front row just to watch God's handiwork, to see blind men's sight restored, to see the lame walk again, to see the dead come back to life. Could you imagine being one of those disciples that was able to run and look into that empty tomb? Look, I know, I know that we can get on a plane and we can go over to Israel, and you should, and you should. It's a fantastic experience, but could you imagine seeing it when Christ was there? 
there. Could you imagine hearing his voice and sitting at his feet? Could you imagine the smell, the scent that would fill your nostrils as you look down and see this woman with an alabaster box broken and tears streaming down her face and see the compassion of our Savior look down on her with love? I'm telling you that when you're a pioneer, you're just closer to the Lord and you see his hand. It's a different vision. And you're able to look back and say, not because the psalmist says it, because your heart feels it, that this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Oh, you can lift your voices and sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And when you're pioneering, you get to see that for yourself. The vision is different. Oh, the vision of God's grace, the vision of God's ability, the vision of God's, God's goodness. It was Caleb that said, I want that mountain. Why? Because he'd already seen what the Lord could do and knew that God was able. We need pioneers. There was an American missionary, the very first American missionary ever to be sent. His name was Adoniram Judson. There were some British men that were sent... Um, You know, before that, I don't know if you all feel the same way about the British as I do. (laughs) All right. One of you. Adoniram Judson went to Burma. Persecuted. I had the chance to stand behind his pulpit about 10 years ago. It's still there. Two weeks ago, I was in C.T. Studd's pulpit. C.T. Studd. For those who don't know those two names, you need to just repent right now. Go get a book and read about these men. And then instead of just being satisfied with what they did, we need to do the same. Adoniram Judson, while hanging upside down, being tortured, said these words, The future is as bright as the promises of God while being tortured. Pioneers just see things differently. Passengers, they hear the stories of God's provision and their bellies are even full because of the accomplishments of the previous generation. But they will soon be hungry because they've never planted the seed themselves. They've never harvested the grain. They've never prepared the soil. They've never weeded the fields. That's the work of a pioneer. God's trying to do a pioneering work in your life or with your life. But let me tell you this, that before God does a pioneering with your life, He does a pioneering work in your life. Before He uses you to do things that have not been done, He goes into your heart and does things that you have not accomplished. Some of us, we're, we're battling with, which, with can, we, can we still hold on to this sin and serve God? Why don't you let God do a pioneering work in your heart and finally release that thing and let go of that thing? So I just, can't, I just can't surrender what will other people think. I just don't know if I can do it. Listen to me. God's not going to use you to do something that has not been done until He has done in you something that you have not let be done just yet. Yeah, perhaps there's men in here that have been raked over the coals by the Holy Spirit of God because you, are, you know that you have been called 
You have been called to go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. You have been called to lift up your eyes under the fields and instead of just praying the Lord would send laborers into the harvest, that you would surrender your life to go into the harvest. 300 independent churches in Canada and there's about 30 million people? Oh, we better get some pioneers from somewhere. From somewhere. We need men that are willing to go north and brave the cold. We need men that are willing to go west and, and endure the city. We, are, we need men that are willing to go over the ocean and, and learn new languages and brave new cultures and meet new people and share the gospel. We need pioneers that are willing to go forward, forward, forward. But it'll never happen until you let him in. Until you let him in. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to Go straight to the invitation. The last thing that I see is different is not just their vision and not just their knowledge, but their relationship was different. Look at verse number 10 just quickly. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. Now pay so close attention to this. Nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. For Israel, that's them. They were ignorant of the work God was doing in them. The works that He had done for Israel, that's them. And friends, if we're going to surrender our lives to be a pioneer, we've got to open our eyes to the works that He's doing in us right now. What a powerful message Brother Skelly preached. The first response. The second response. And your response. You've heard a lot of preaching this week. And you're about to hear more if you stick around. For some of you young men, we, we talk about becoming a man. Are you the kind of man that God wants you to be? We need to train, not just tell, not just teach, but we need to train up this next generation. And if we're going to train, that, that involves a few things. Someone's got to be willing to do the training. We've got to remember that He is worthy. He is worthy. We've got to be aware that the fear of man bringeth a snare. We have to know that we are saved. I mean, you've heard Pastor Skelly preach about this this morning and the rest of you in here, we are all going to be laying in that same grave that Joshua is laying in one day. The only difference is what happens between now and then. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are going to step from your last breath on this side of eternity into the flames of hell and be cast into the lake of fire. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to scare you that there is judgment and there is penalty for sin. And the only way to get beyond those things is by finding forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can forgive you. And if you think that you can just get along and nobody find out that you're saved, the only one who matters already knows that you're not or whether you are. You're going to be a pioneer? What, are you kidding me? You first must let Him in. 
The uniqueness about a pioneer is that they move forward. And this is what I'm going to ask. I don't know if coming forward invitations, I don't know if that's common in this country, but I know that this, that sometimes the Lord does not use a man until He moves a man. And I'm simply asking. And if the altar gets crowded, don't worry, it's not about making it all the way down here. It's about making it out of where you're sitting. When we open the invitation here in just a moment, the invitation is simply this. Whatever God's doing in your heart, let Him do it. But let's remove ourselves from that comfortable seat and find a place of humility on our knees and ask Him for that help. I'd like to ask the musicians if they would go ahead and come and prepare to sing. Father, I pray that You would touch during this time of invitation. And Lord, I ask that we would not sit so comfortably in the place where You have put us now, but Lord, that You would prepare us for what's about to happen next. Lord, that we would surrender ourselves to You. With our heads still bowed and our eyes still closed, men and young men and older men from all over the, the sanctuary have already come. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And I'm simply asking, just mind the Lord. Just mind the Lord.